Uh, Doug's a real professional. Turn up the turn up the volume. My snare. Uh, Duncan, give me more bass. Let me know when, when it's good. Um, keep going. Perfect. Doug, were you a Simpsons guy? Huge. Same. I, Same. I have a, a brain Bigger defect or something where I can't laugh at cartoons. That's, like, that's messed up. South family, Park, Family Guy. Family guy really? Simpsons. South Park should make you I don't know on why. the floor. I don't know why. Something, something. There's a some, something's not. Yeah, firing. you need you need re, it, you, the disconnect between reality and South Park and Family image. Guy are funnier than any live action comedy I've ever seen on TV, maybe other than Seinfeld. Rick and Morty beats it all. Not Who? a fan. Not a Who? Rick, and, Rick and Morty. I don't think it's that funny. What is that? Okay. Rick, um, you think it's that funny? Da- yeah, the really? writing's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's next level. I mean, but it's super nerd. Oh, adult swim. Super, super space sci-fi nerd. Do you watch Dave? No, and I know what? about I just, it. I, know. I just went to watch that this weekend. What the f***? And I they know. will only let me watch season two. <laughs> Both of you assholes would love Dave. Yeah, I know. I've heard. I'll I tried to favorite. watch it, but they were like, season two, episode one is available. Dude, buy who? It's six bucks. It's little dicky, right? Yeah, it's six bucks. Don't want another You do my password? I'll give you my password. Give me your password. Right. I'll watch it. Watch Handmaid's. I'm out. I'm out of hands. I'm not watching it. I know it's good, but I wrapped it up. It's like five seasons. I can't do anything. I'm too far behind. Yeah. Life is dystopian to the max. Speaking (laughs) of dystopian, (laughs) showtime. Welcome to the compound and friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. First of all, when was the last time I saw you? Is this it? First time since? We did the coffee thing. I made coffee. Remember okay, that's the t- the taste pre-pandemic. Test. That's 2019, bro. December 2019. All November, right. December. All right, you look like you look you look like uh, nothing's changed. Look healthy, look happy. How was your How was your pandemic? <laughs> Is that the thing that we ask each other? Jeez, it's the SNL skit right here. I just had a guy that I used to work with in the brokerage industry text me out of the blue. I haven't spoken to him in I don't know, fifteen years, ten years. How? So all right, so you you made it. <laughs> good good to hear. Um, all right, Doug Doug Bonaparte. Let's let's big you up first. So you are bona fide wealth. You're the founder, CEO, you're the head of human resources. You have employees now. Yeah, we just brought another one on. How many employees do you have? Two. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. We've multiplied. Hundred percent gain. How do you like making those uh <laughs> how do you like making those uh social security tax payments? I enter numbers in a computer all right. and watch uh, the money go out of the account. All right. Um so all right, so but you're in New Jersey. You're not working in the city now or you're coming in once a week or what are you doing? I'm coming in twice I'm gonna come in twice a week. Once I get the younger kid into camp, I was here yesterday. Actually, so I'm here twice, twice this week. Okay, I'm excited. Good. I'm doing once a week this I, summer. I want to be here, just to be. I just want to be here. You know what? It's so funny. Everybody is like so excited to come back in, and more so than I thought they would be. I mean, I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people I'm talking to are getting excited to come in once or twice a week. Nobody's excited to be back full time. That's the thing. That's right. the thing. If you get the hybrid you want. It's it's a dream. And I think for people who never had that and, and are gonna get that, it's it's an amazing thing. But if you're asking me, I always had a charmed like commuter life and choosing which days. I, I like 
pre-pandemic. Well, you're your own boss, right? You're not, was, a, yeah. you're not a good example of like no. somebody that's like being forced to come back in. Not at all. I'm going right back into what I was doing before the pandemic as far as like time. Oh, actually, city. we're going to talk, we're going to talk about this whole thing today, but let's not, uh, yeah, you guys are stepping yeah. In our shit. yeah, let's not bury, let's not bury the lead. We, I feel like it's obligatory. We have to talk about the fed decision yesterday. We're not, this is not a macroeconomics podcast. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it. Um, good. Cause I still don't know what dots mean. The dot plot. Well, they basically told you in the press conference to stop paying attention to it. I already, I stopped three years ago. They I was going to say, I beat them to that punch. They want you to stop paying attention to everything. Why do they keep doing press exactly. conferences? Why do they keep doing press conferences? Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. You're a tinfoil hatter. Yeah. Doug hit me with a conspiracy theory a few weeks ago. This is awful. Yeah. If we go down there, it's no, awful. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah. You've, you've, no, we're going to go there. It was a good one. He's, he's got that. What he's is got it? that in him. It was. What was it? Why Elon Musk can say and do the things that he oh, does. Right. But that's off. Like, that's way off the Fed topic here. Well, so, so why do they we, keep we having. Don't want, we don't want Doug getting arrested. If they want us to ignore the dot plot and they want us to give them more time to look at more data uh, forever, then why even bother with the with the press conferences? It's on the calendar. Is that it? Just we have was we said we were going to do this. It's, we have to do it. That's the way it's always been done, no? They've been saying. No, that. that's my point. When I started in the business, there was no such thing. People don't people don't understand that this started during the financial crisis. Prior to that, Alan Greenspan would leave his office, walk across the street, and give his and they would give their statement or their testimony. And on CNBC, they would show footage of him crossing the street, and the commentators. I swear this is true. The commentators would comment on the size of his briefcase. You know, I want you. I want you to to uh, find the video because you say that a lot. It, this happened. You've you've said this before. This happened all the time. I want the evidence. Sometimes he would have a Manila folder, and they would look at how overstuffed it was with papers and extrapolate information based and on say that. this looks like a hike. Yeah, this- but in in the in the '90s, what was the size of the Fed's balance sheet? Like they didn't. They didn't need to report on everything that they were doing. They weren't as activist not, as, as they became. They're not as important as they, as they are today. So you're both right, right? So number one, there's a lot. They say things now. They're doing these things from the recession. They now have like an obligation to like follow up on it. So if you're going to create a narrative that, you know, inflation is transitory, right? You, you've put it out there. Right. Now you got to follow up on that. So you put this story out there. And you have to say something smart, smart like, oh, okay, let's hope you know inflation's under control and the economy's going to do well, and we got to jack up rates in two and a half years from now. So that was my big takeaway. So the the big the big showstopper was that based on the dot plots, the expectation within the Fed is now that the first rate hike will be in the second half of 2023, <laughs> which is two and a half f-ing years from right now. And I guess markets moved on that news. Quickly no. and then reverse. Well, some markets did. I, the, the, okay, so the Dow went down not well, even a, not even a percent. Oh, international moves. bond markets yeah. moved. Fair enough, fair enough. But domestically, I almost felt like the movement was like, yeah, we have to move because they said that. Not like I didn't take like real stock in any of this. Well, because it, it's, it's just positioning. It's flows. It's exactly. not. It's not necessarily the news that matters. It's just where where people off sides or not. There were so Greg Ip did a did an article in the Journal on this line. Like just this was fantastic. He said supply has been constricted by a litany of freak events. Pandemic-induced cuts to production and shifts in demand patterns, a container ship jamming in the Suez Canal, a fire at a Japanese microchip factory and a winter storm in Texas created shortages of everything from used cars and semiconductors to chicken wings and lumbers. Um, all right. With that said, it's kind of amazing that we haven't had even more inflation. What, with all of those supply disruptions? Yeah. Jam-ups. Well, what's also interesting is that the, the most popular thing that people talk about is like the goods side, but the services side inflation First of all, it's been running ahead of goods inflation forever, our whole lives pretty much. 
Second of all, none of that is ever transitory. People don't, people don't work for less than they worked for last year. They just don't. And then the last part of this, which I think the Fed, I said this on TV, maybe it was in PC. How long does Jerome Powell have to keep rates at zero for a waitress to start making Ford F-150s on an assembly line? 50 years? Like, so there's 9 million open jobs. And I get that we haven't returned to all of the employment that we had prior to the pandemic. Some of that's just not happening. Like, at a certain point, you have to recognize it's a skills mismatch and maybe even a geographic mismatch. And interest rates don't really do the trick, nor does asset purchasing. And I'm sure they know that. But I guess that's like what Wall Street is waiting for them to wake up and just say out loud, which politically maybe is not popular for them to do. I don't know how you take these really massive shifts in in the way we operate economically and in our lives like that and, and distill it down to something that's like a soundbite for people to digest and, so, and understand. Look, look at this chart. So we've got the, the thing I want you guys to pay attention to is expected inflation in the bond market, the orange line. And then all the way up top, expected inflation from consumers. I guess it's based on a survey. So the bond market's saying one thing. Consumers are saying another thing. The, bo- the bond market believes that it's transitory. Yes. Um, Nick Collis was writing about how the bond market actually doesn't do a good job of pricing and inflation at all, and it never has. And he doesn't really understand why everyone expects it to today. And actually what bonds do is price in very, very long-run inflation, like over multiple decades they don't react to this year's inflation. So for some reason, everybody's waiting for that to happen, and it will not, co- it will not cooperate, as you can see here in, in, uh, in this chart. I think we're missing the silver lining here is that in two and a half years, my high-yield savings account is going to get me 60 basis points. Up from 10 today? Right, Do you 15? remember that sweet, sweet 200 from Marcus? Like uh, it was there for a second. I remember money markets getting plus 5% uh 2006 before the great – Financial so, all right. Recession. So all of us in the RIA community have assets custodied at basically three firms, right? And they're all giving away trades to our clients for free. With TikTok, Robinhood. TikTok, Robinhood, and OnlyFans. Right. So the custodians are basically like, okay, trades are free because I guess that's what it is now. And they're hoping to make their money on interest from cash balances. Yeah. They need rates to rise more than anyone else in the economy I can think of. Like, because that's not yet a business. I know they make a little bit of money, but the bet that they made, especially Schwab buying TD, is that that's going to be a much bigger business in the future. So maybe maybe that's like the biggest beneficiary is all these brokerage firms with all this cash sloshing around. Watch. So there'll probably be a push to go into the the TAMPs and managed accounts where they can set the 2 3% cash minimum in those accounts. So they have control over how much is in those accounts. It frees up the advisor's life to put them in that kind of product, but they're going to get guaranteed money by allocating the cash component. What if they mandate? That Wait, you what have do you mean? So, if, if you're cash. the advisor and you're using a TAMP that's on a custodian platform yeah. to do the investment management for your clients, yeah. and they decide how much cash is in the model, yeah, like two, three percent in cash, it's got to be there for fees. It's got to be there just to be part of the model to create a little, fr- you know. So it's there's right. some friction or right, not friction in there, whatever. But yeah, I mean that's typical. Three percent of ten trillion dollars is like real money. I don't want to name names because I'm I'm not positive on this, but I feel like one of the custodians did do this with one of their model portfolios. And I remember a lot of people pointing out like, what are you kidding me? The amount of cash in this portfolio is absurd. Is, two, that, is, a- is 2% in a portfolio to make sure there's grease on the wheel absurd? No, but I'm thinking it was more like 10 or 15. That's absurd. Yeah. 
Well, isn't that wait? Somebody somebody got like very vocally called out for that in a robo advisor. Yeah, I don't want to name names. I'm not, I'm not positive. Who You're probably it was. talking about the same thing. So we're you so, can't have a ten percent allocation. So we're doing quote unquote cash management in our client accounts at all these custodians. We're we're not a great we're not a great customer for the brokerage firms because we're like on top of it. What percentage of advisors do you think like just aren't even paying attention because the accounts aren't big enough or they don't even know better? I, I would guess like half. No way. Greater than half. What? You think but not more, you think less? Way less. No. I'm with Josh. Not, but not, most, like, not like 70%. Most financial advisors are doing cash management in individual accounts. Well, what do you mean by cash management? I don't think- I, don't I think- mean literally rescuing client money yep. from the default option, which pays you no interest and kicks all the interest up to the brokerage firm and moving it into a better fund. Well, you're not going to get- a lot of juice out of even you used to be able to go into the money market fund. It's tiny, but as a fiduciary, yeah. I feel like you should be making an effort. I watched the sweep account do better than some of the money market funds. So you have <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible situation. So when you go short term bonds and put risk so on the money. I wanted to talk about this last week, Josh. We we were talking to Sam and I said, Where are you guys feeling the inflation in your life? You just you just got a new car, right? If you're but I said like if you're not renting a car, going on vacation buying a new house, like it's not, it's not in your face. Now for some people, inflation is crushing. I, I totally get it. But for example, I went into my account yesterday and I downloaded my data for my groceries because that's what people say. Have you been to the grocery store? And this is- Where are people saying that on Twitter? I don't know. We, we say, I don't even know if people, yeah, people say it. People say right. it. I feel like that's the right? conventional I mean, thing. The, the eggs, the milk. Can, the, right, because they can like- tangibly feel and touch those items. So I don't know that I would notice my eggs going up by 30 cents. Like I, I know, I know I wouldn't notice cause I don't check the prices of eggs cause my bill always feels roughly the same when I go to Trader Joe's or King Cullen or North Shore Farms or wherever I go. It's 120 every time. It's like this, it's like the same range. So John, throw this chart up. So this is my 30 day rolling average of my grocery spending Going back to 2019, and obviously there was a huge pickup. Look at that spike when you when you were hoarding fruit roll-ups. Right, ex- exactly. <laughs> but it actually, I mean, again, this is just my experience. Wait, hold on, let's stay on this. What were you what, what were you buying in February? And I, March? It wasn't. Robin was probably buying toilet paper, paper. towels. Oh, yeah, whatever. Clorox. Okay. Is alcohol included in there? Probably. Um, a legitimate question. Yeah, I, I not, honestly not in New York supermarkets. Yeah. Like, Orchard. No, because like bagel was included in here. Like some random things. Well, were included, he's the one tagging the expense, so I wanted to know if he was included. I don't. I don't. Honestly, I, I I don't know. I'll find out. But I think I think it was I think it was just primarily groceries. I don't know if liquor was included. Okay. I was spending a lot on liquor in the early days of the pandemic, like most people were. But I don't know. Does this like just look at this? Does this look inflationary? But do you think this is what everybody's looks like? No. But that's but that's my point. Right. Is that inflation is very personal. Like so, we're we're looking at aggregate data. And the reason why people get mad, it's like, because you're looking at inflation through your bills and not everybody has the same bills. We pay tutors for, you know, Tara's taking like uh, pretty crucial exams right now that are going to count forever. The tutor will not come for any less than, let's say, double what they were getting. And it, I don't think they're twice as good of a teacher. Yeah. It's just, this is what it is. And I don't see what that has to do with the pandemic, but like, what are you going to do? You're still going to pay it. Michael, to your point, I, I think you have to also think about like the sensitivity of that 30 cents and that dollar increase on your eggs or whatever product. Yeah, I'm it not is. I'm not gonna feel it. Yeah. And I, I just think it's it's very situational to, to the earner. Absolutely. And uh yeah. Right. So what's the paradox of that is a lot of that inflation is coming 
from things that are outside of the world's control, but maybe some of it's coming from the wealth effect from the Federal Reserve pumping. Home prices went up 20% a year and the stock market went, stock market values that people have, like U.S. Uh, household stock market holdings are up 30%. So, Doug, no, so, um, there's, there's no, there's no, no liquor, liquor in, in here. It's all, it's King Kong stop and shop. Yeah. Ba- a lot of, Straight up groceries. A lot of Bagel Boss, Trader Joe's, A&S. <laughs> yes. It's, it's groceries. Why? Ralph's. The, you, I don't know why Ralph's is whatever. You have like every bagel store. Bagel, bagel Chalet. I don't, bagel go, Cafe, I don't go to Bagel, bagel, bagel Chalet. Bagel Chalet is an anomaly. Bagel Brothers. <laughs> I, I'm not a Bagel Chalet guy. To, back, to, but back to your thing about, you know, uh, whoever was reading the article about all these things happened and, you know, Suez Canal, everything. Should that, but doesn't that also – isn't the other side of that like how good the supply chain is that it can Rebound. manage? Yeah, manage all of those. Sh- I mean those are insane shots. You get a boat in the Suez. They're going around Africa. Like, well, one of the – right. One of the, of the century One style. of the silver linings is that they're going to get very serious about making stuff here now. Like they're not going to put themselves in a position where the medicine – or, or the the ingredients yeah. for medicine come only from India and why, China. Why do you think that? They said they're not. Who's they? First Trump and now Biden. Like it seems to be very bipartisan that they want to move more of the supply chain onshore, which they probably would not have done were it not for the disruptions from last year. Maybe even on a greater basis. They just this is when was the last time something like that has happened? I don't know, but I can assure you, the world and especially America does not want that to happen again. Yeah, so we have to find solutions. Like even build, w- build smaller boats. Boom, build more canals. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I want to get into Wall Street returning to work in person, which I think is like, I don't know if it has an impact on the markets or market psychology that's measurable, but I definitely think there is a sea change that's taken place in the last two weeks, and now all of a sudden, the largest companies in wealth management, banking, uh, trading, they're like, get back here. They were like, we'll see, we'll take a bu-. Now they're like, no, 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 come to the office right now. And this doesn't affect me, Michael, yourself, um, but this is going to affect a lot of people I know. Yep. Uh, was this, is this surprising that they want them back this soon, or does it seem long overdue? Um, for someone who's never worked a day in the corporate world, I have strong feelings, which is interesting. Maybe I'm like, this is in defense of my clients and my spouse who, who does work in corporate America. Um, Number one, is anyone outside of banking and finance being as like forceful about getting back in the office other than like Morgan not, Stanley not, and Goldman? Not technology. Okay. Not tech. Jack's like work wherever you want. Yeah. Right. Tech's like move to Montana. We're gonna pay you a Montana wage. And that was fa- that was that was Zuckerberg. That was Zuckerberg. And we're all set. Right. So I think it's frustrating that it's so black and white because work from home really means different things to different people. And obviously I'm going to think about it from the having school age kids at home and a dual, you know, dual working spouse perspective. So I think it's a lot more complicated than, Hey, let's just go back to the way it was come here. I think it's a little tone deaf for families, but yeah, if you're in your twenties and, uh, you know, you're wet behind the ears or you're older and your kids are out of the house, I can see the rationale and the appeal coming back to the office. It's not surprising to see financial firms leading the charge on this. It's kind of cultural and bottom line oriented. Goldman Sachs headquarters was built how long ago? Not that not, long no, ago. They're, they're, they're new. Yeah, I worked uh, right by this it. Is, uh, this is James Gorman, yeah. c- CEO of Morgan Stanley. Uh, sent a tough message to New York-based employees who do not want to return to the office. They're all f-ing off in the Hamptons. Again, arguing that if they are comfortable dining out in the city, they should feel safe working at the bank's headquarters. True. Quote, 
if you can go into a restaurant in New York City, you can come into the office and we want you in the office. He signaled that he would take a dim view of employees who did not work regularly in the office and especially those who wanted to do their job remotely from an out-of-state location like Florida or Colorado. I honestly don't have a problem with this. Like, what's the average salary for for these people? I was going to say, these are all type A people who work at Morgan Stanley because they have that work ethic within. Think about what it takes to become an investment banker. Uh, don't you, I'm, I'm sure the majority, I'm, I'm guessing that people are happy, to, these people are happy to go back to work. I think, well, Doug, you disagree? I just think you're painting with so broad of a brush yeah, of here. Of course, we are. And, and I appreciate that and all. I, I wish it could be like uh, segmented or segregated. Like, again, if you're, if you're 20s and this is your third, fourth year as an analyst, get your butt in the office. Like, that, that's important for you and your growth and the culture and all of that. Right. I just, again, my heart goes out. You're, imagine being 12 years into your job. Wait, your heart goes out to investment bankers at Morgan Stanley? No, I'm going beyond investment bankers here. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> traders too. Yeah, traders too, back office. Syndicate managers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, emerging market bond traders, all of them. What's funny is the back office people are probably needed more yeah. than the client-facing people. That's my point. At least until there's a client to face. Yeah, it's just your imagine being 14 years in your career, your life has fundamentally shifted in terms of its logistics and where kids go and what you need to do. And, you know, you've just gone through a year and a half of showing you can be productive and be be a big boy or big girl, and you get, you know, boomered. I don't get it. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? I just think it's like, we'll go back to the way it was, everyone in the office. It's like, we've just, sh- I could show you how many Fortune 100 companies that have had more productivity over the last eight, over right. the last 18 months. I have months. to call bullshit on this because a lot of the Wall Street people I know, and I will never name any names, they basically had a year and a half vacation at this point. Mm. And they literally, they're people that just like picked up and like people in their 20s, good for them, by the way like a pickup with a group of like college friends, all of them work for, you know, they they all came out of an Ivy and then they all worked at a a Wall Street firm. They literally like rented a house like somewhere and just sat this out and did a Zoom in the morning, did a Zoom in the afternoon and smoked weed the entire day. Everything I'm saying- Should you be able to do that for more than a year? No, and everything I'm saying to you is the exception, you know, not the 20 something year olds, you know, blazing blunts and L's in their Hamptons house with eight eight other people. I'm right. I'm just sticking up for the for the hardworking. Well, let's let's broaden this out a little bit. Andreessen was on a podcast with Vlad of the Robin Hood podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and he said it's possible that we have decoupled the geography from economic opportunity for the first time in 500 years, and he thinks that this is like we're not paying enough attention to this. That the change was massive. It's not going back to the way it was, uh, investment banks aside. Let me, let me read his quote because it's really good. Uh, this is Mark Andreessen at future.com. So he was writing this? Okay. This is, I believe, a permanent civilizational shift. It is perhaps the most important thing that's happened in my lifetime, a consequence of the internet that's maybe even more important than the internet. Permanently divorcing physical location from economic opportunity gives us a real shot at radically expanding the number of good jobs in the world while also dramatically improving quality of life for millions or billions of people. We may at long last shatter the geographic lottery, opening up opportunity to countless people who weren't lucky enough to be born in the right place. So, and sending Montana housing prices up 500%. Big sky. Boise, Idaho. (laughs) Big prices. All, All these places. How many people work on wall street and work in finance just because they grew up in the tri-state area? And the, the the jobs were here. The training was here. 
Like that's a huge, I think that's a huge factor. All right, so what's your point? Well, what if like the most talented people for these jobs just never end up in New York? How about why is it always about all or none? I think we just gravitate to extremes. I think the best thing for everyone is, hey, I'll come in two, three days a week. Like, let's figure out your life here and what's going to really matter. You're concerned about your employees and you want to maximize their productivity and be valuable as an employer. Find out what hybrid model is going to work best. It's never one or it's always what's in the middle. You know how stupid people are when they're trading money based on this stuff? There were days that we called virus days where like the news like turned bad work from home stocks. And then like DocuSign would go up 10%. Yeah. But then like two days later, there would be news that Moderna got through phase two and then DocuSign would go down 10%. There are people actually trading the, like what they think the future of jobs is on a minute by minute basis. Yeah, but But here's the thing. The hybrid model, you could stay at home if you are already employed at a company, if you have, uh, relationships with your colleagues. It's cool. That's totally fine. But for hiring new people and building a report, it's very difficult. So during in that article, Ally Financial, they're based in Detroit. They took on around 2,000 employees that have never stepped foot within our organization. That was a, a quote. And turnover is highest among that group. Yes. So the quote was, it's easier to sustain a relationship right now than to build a relationship. So the idea that people are going to get hired out of state without meeting their colleagues uh, and, and climb the ladder. Like, that's tough. How many people did we hire since the pandemic started? Eight? It's been a bunch, yeah. Some of them moved to New York to, but, but, to do but, this but, but because we were, they had that sense that I know I could do this remotely, but I'm in my 20s. I want to, like, really meet people in this company and not just be remote. But we, we already had this – Built this foundation. Built half of our employees were outside of New York. Yeah, we so were we were us. we were hybrid slash remote before it was cool. I don't have eight, but I got one that I hired during the pandemic. Twenty two, and she, and and she's moving to Salt Lake City. Straight out there, yeah. But B- you, BYU. Want, you wanted that person nearby, uh, rightfully so, right? I def I want. It's the hybrid model that won. It's the hybrid until we can really figure out. What are you going to tell a twenty two year old who's you know graduated early from? You're not going to have her sit there five days a week. In the office, if you're not there, are you? I'm giving them access. You want to go in, go in. Okay. You know, we're going to do training in in my backyard. Right. So I guess that's kind of what we're doing is we're saying to people, go in when you think you need to be in or you want to be in. Right. John, John, throw up this chart, the number of U.S. workers leaving jobs. But Mike, you're right real quick. Just like 20-something typical finance, you know, specifically 20-something, specifically financial function, big bank. Yeah. Like- you, you, I think you should be there. How do they advance being remote? Well, that's you, you don't. I agree. How, I agree with that. How do they make inroads with the people above them that arguably are going to be responsible for them getting promoted? Impossible. Learning new skills. Like so much you of don't. this is soft. It's not hard. It's like see somebody in the hallway. Right. Go out for a drink with this person. Wow, this, this kid's got potential. Right. If it's just Zooms and they're pre-scheduled, you lose that. And I don't think you can replicate it. Unless you have a function where your number crunching and analytical prowess That's actually puts dollars right. in the firm right. pocket, right. it's not going yeah, to happen. Yeah, the, the engineer is the workforce. That's the, the upper echelon yeah, of, of right. brain and those trust. People, and those people are going to be fine regardless. Yeah, of, they're getting paid. So look at, look at this chart. The number of U.S. workers leaving jobs as a share of total unemployment. This is important. Like This really, really, really matters. People are leaving their jobs. This is like – this is – so this was 1% of the workforce quit a job in 2009. 
Right now, it's 2.7%. So that's it's a double. It's the highest it's been in 20 years. It's a triple almost in the amount of people. Uh, so there's a lot of turnover in employment, and I'm very excited. I shouldn't say excited. I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. Dude, you think about how many people just have kept the same job because of the health healthcare, the benefits. Inertia, status right. quo. What I think what the pandemic did is it like took the deck of cards and threw it up in the air. Totally. And then some of them landed face up, some landed face down, but it's it's reshuffled everything. I think it's only exacerbated the trend that you saw going from 2009 on up. I think the workforce, you got to look at the demographics of the workforce, mm -hmm. millennials you know, going from children into there, what their demands are. The fact that the social safety net blew up, then yeah, then 2009, you know, showing at least my, you know, um, geriatric millennials, like, haha. I love that term. Yeah, I love it too. It's but the they, only time but I've they, loved I'm totally geriatric. But only you had a lot I've of people turn side hustles into full time careers yeah. by starting businesses last year, which I think will be a silver lining. I mean, look, it's, it's hard to find silver linings right now, but I think in three years, a lot of people are going to look back and say that this was a turning point for them in the same way that like 2008 was a big turning point for my career. Like, you just you get forced to look in the mirror and say, do I really want to go back to that job? Plot like when Fiverr and, and Upwork and all those companies like came online on that chart. And, and I'd be curious to see like where well, that's are. another Uber. Yeah. Like all, all, all these new options came along for self-employment. Uh, last thing I want to do on this. This is a uh, Wall Street Journal. Companies push employees to prove they're vaccinated for COVID-19. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley are among employers requesting staffers to disclose vaccination status. So... Uh, they basically are saying that they want they want you to tell them if you're vaccinated, and if you're not, they're like asking you not to come in or at least wear a mask. Can you can you do that? Because I didn't I didn't know that I could do that or not. I'm getting mixed mixed information. I've had some lawyer friends tell me you can tell your employees they have to be vaccinated to come into the office. I would love to talk to someone who actually knows if that's true or not. Yeah, you know, companies are getting covered to ratchet up the pressure ratchet up the pressure from new guidance from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission which recently said US employers can require all workers entering a workplace to be vaccinated against COVID-19. I feel like somebody's going to want to try that with a lawsuit easily. That's a given. <laughs> right. It's a given straight, people, to the, straight, straight to the straight to the courts. I should say many people um, maybe that should depend on the nature of the work that you're doing or how close you're asking people to be next to each other. I think this is just the beginning of things like this. You're going to get into schools and kids and, and on and on and on. You know, we, we're just first trying to get out and have a nice summer and, and do some stuff. And then we're going to have to deal with people trying the courts and asking questions of what their, what their rights so are. So let's stop drug testing and start vaccine testing. I'd be okay with that. I'm in. Yeah. Doug, you have a, a young client base. Are student loans something that you deal with regularly? Regularly. All the time. Wrote a book about it. So how, how, do, how do you deal with that? You just pretend it doesn't exist? No. <laughs> Bury your head in the sand. Yeah. It just goes away, right? Um, early on in catering to millennials, this was, I think, a lot more of an issue than uh, where it is now as geriatric millennials. Um Look, it's, it's for, for a good problem in that they're making more money. They've overcome the hurdle of their student loan debt being a burden on achieving their goals. They can get over that. that Geriatric millennials are born like early 80s. 
Yeah, I'm 84. So 36-year-olds to 40-year-olds, I think, are, okay. are in the geriatric phase. Okay. So if they did well and worked really hard, and so if they got like the law degree and took out 200, 300,000, they, they, whether they liked it or not, they kept at it. They're now out earning those student loan payments. So it still shows but up. But you're a wealth manager. So by definition, you're not going to have clients that are struggling with student loans. Right. It's annoying. Those, those, I, do, I actually take those pro bono. Um, I, I'll never forget one where it was a young girl. Literally, I saw no, no way I had to tell her, leave the city, move in with your mom, work as much as you possibly can. It was terrible. Her her dad died and, and co-signed the loan. It, it was a disaster. It was a heartbreaker. And the only right thing to say is like, you, you have to grab this thing by the horns. There, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to be the most uncomfortable thing you're going to be dealing with over a five, 10 year period. But let me shake pom-poms for you and tell you, you can do this. The alternative, there is none. How did she, how did she react to, uh, to that advice? I never heard from her again. So in my mind, I imagine she moved home and it's now five years later and she's on her way. All right. So parent plus loans. Yeah. What, so define this for the people that aren't even aware of what this is about. Yeah. So parent plus loans allow your parent to co-sign a student loan for you up to, this is the important part, up to the cost of attendance, no different than getting graduate plus loans. So these two loan structures, the plus is cre- creates an interesting student loan trap. Because if you're going to a super expensive school or graduate school, you can take out up to like two, three, four, you know, if you're medical school, you can take up a multiple six figures in student loans. Who can loans. take it up? The parent can take it as though they're the student. With plus, plus loans, it's typically parents and their undergraduate attendee. Okay. Okay, because the undergraduate federal loans can't get up to the cost of attendance. Okay. All right. And then when it goes over to the grad school, basically it has the borrower, the student borrower can go up to the cost of attendance. That's how you get, you know, my wife with $300,000 in student loan. So, so this, this seems dumb. Um, th- there was an article in the journal about a couple who took out $200,000 in 2005. It's now half a million dollars. Yes. The New York Times article. Yeah. I'm sorry, the New York it. Times article. So uh, the parent plus loan does not come with an attempt to understand the parent's ability to, to repay it. That sounds dumb. Well, why? Because thanks to the education department, mm-hmm. they view these loans as they do all student debt as, quote, instruments of social insurance policy and not traditional debt, end quote, yep. which is why they are not sub- subject to traditional underwriting norms. Are you kidding me? So they they are. don't look at the parents' ability to repay it at all? They don't look at the kids on the grad plus and their ability to repayment at all. This is what's fundamentally no, that wrong. I un- yeah. That I understand, but I, I guess I, I don't know why I assume this. So, all right, in this case— well, well, here, this is the coup de grace, and this is totally f***ed. If borrowers default on or consolidate their loans, or if they receive a forbearance or a de- deferment, putting payments on hold, the interest that accrues is capitalized, which yes. means it is added to their principal balance, yes. pushing payments higher. What are we trying to do here? Hurt people. Well, who's going to take the loan? Uh, who's going to make the loan? If that's not in well, place, well, then then put some underwriting standards on it. You gotta you gotta zoom out here. It's it's just all right. So it's like the something that's got to give with higher education and the way we let people borrow for it. And it's a multifaceted problem, and it touches on everything from financial literacy to the alignment. This is the big one: the alignment, the incentives between borrowers and universities, and how the cost of education got to where it is in the first place. Who, to allow who, this. who are the lenders here? Is it the government or is it private it says institutions? Pa- parent plus government. loans now account for nearly a quarter of new federal borrowing for undergraduates. So 25% yeah. of undergraduates who are borrowing money for college, the, there's a parent plus loan attached to it. Yep. Or superseding it. I don't really know. 
So it, it's all one loan. So, I, yeah, but that's only six percent of the one point five seven trillion, right? In current federal because they've got debt. A, they've got a more popular recently. So it's yes. a small portion of the overall portfolio, but you see, this is where the balances are high because again they borrow up to the cost of right. attendance. So you get the most dramatic and glamorous, not so glamorous stories, you know, out of both the Parent Plus loan, which you see right here, and the the Grad Plus loans. It creates. Again, the the most putrid um, out, downfalls. So, are, what are these families supposed to do? Out. They've got half a million dollars worth of loans. Well, they have a kid in New York in NYU, which is probably your first mistake. So, what 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 is NYU a year now? Sixty to seventy grand a year. Seventy grand a year. So, four year undergrad and, and degrees. Li- and you got to live here. And you have to live here on top of it. So, here wait. Parent, according to the most recent scorecard data, the median total debt at graduation was seventy four thousand. $201. One-fifth of students had a parent who took a parent plus loan uh, at NYU. So what do you th- – so is your kid Steven Spielberg? Because if not – You think so. And you're putting yourself in that financial position, you're fooling yourself, you're fooling your kid, and – There's a lot of parents writing checks to send their kid there. You know, you got to look at that data and see, well, what's the average household income or net worth of, you know. Is this because they're educated or they're trying to do the right thing? They're trying to help their kids instead of having the kids take out the loan? They think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. So t- so we have an advisor here. You know Tony, right? Of course. Tony Isola has gotten very deep into finance, like uh, financial planning for college. And awesome. he, got the, he got the license or the accreditation yep. or whatever because he had twin boys that he just got into college this past year during the pandemic. And he was saying there are all these quirks in the algorithms that change every year. Um, but if you – like, for example, last year there were no foreign students. So the schools were left with huge shortfalls because uh, foreign students pay full boat. Yeah, they don't really get financial there's no, aid. There's no financial aid for right. kids coming from China. So that, But there weren't any. Yeah. There's no, no foreign students. So Tony was saying if you know that, you understand how the algorithm works – this is a situation where it actually benefits you not to ask for financial aid because when they go hit the list, they're looking for the kids that can make up that shortfall. But that's not every year. So the it's so arcane how they're figuring out who gets in, who doesn't. Um, but paying for college, I feel like, is a whole subgenre of financial planning. Guys, the schools are off the hook with the borrowers. It, it, they. Government gives you money. Pick, you know, get in whatever school you can. Right. The university doesn't care if you fail out. They're getting the money. Yeah. The, and, there's the incentives and you gone. Can't, and you can't discharge these loans. So that's the last thing I, I really have. It, it, it's impossible. Is this the only one? Is this the only one that falls under that umbrella? No, they all can't. No, I'm, I'm saying, like, will you, will you declare bankruptcy and these don't, these don't you go away? Discharge credit card debt. Right. You just have f- up credit. I, you can get rid of it. My very, very good friend from college, um, f- uh, bankruptcy attorney, um, clerk, federal clerk. Ba- I mean, this guy knows the stuff inside and out. I just called him up one day for that case where I was helping that girl. And I said, Michael, like, is there any way we can get rid Michael, of this? Michael, is the, you know, I have always been told this is very hard. Can Is it really impossible? And he's like, I'm not going to waste your time on this call. Impossible. And then he brought me through why. And I was just like, my God. It's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. Um, let's keep moving here. So you're a coffee addict. Yeah. You and I had a little bit of a run in pre pandemic. It's all good. Um, we're good now. Josh, Josh is truly a coffee peasant. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will drink gas station coffee. Yeah. He's at the shell gas station. (laughs) Um, I called you a call. I called people coffee assholes and you identified with that. I didn't call you one. 
but you you definitely took that a little personally. But I learned a very valuable lesson. You came in, you brewed me some shitty coffees and then your favorite coffee, yeah. and I could correctly identify that yours was better, right? So I, so there is a difference. It is discernible, even to people that aren't going out of their way to learn about this stuff. Yeah. I don't, ex- I don't expect people to, like, fall in love with my hobby and, and you know, Doug, rock. Oh, wait a minute. You I'm- don't have to defend it. Like, coffee is more defensible than my hobby, which is being a tequila asshole. <laughs> I love that, too. And I became a 10x tequila asshole during the pandemic. Still yeah. am. Doug, I, forgot, I, I, use, I use the drip every single day. I love it. I got you that. You got yeah, me that. Yeah. You got me that. I, I actually wonder in the morning if Michael is, like, waking up. I, dude, I swear to God, I use, I use a drip. Doug got me the. Uh, pour, I got you a Chemex. To yeah, do pour overs. I use it every single day. You're, you're doing that every day. Every single day. Huh. It's it's ritual. Um, it's super like, easy. Like K cups. But but anyway, like you going to the Shell gas station? <laughs> so apparently, coffee has some health benefits, which is good because my yeah. body is breaking down at a young age. Uh, it can reduce. Michael is the oldest thirty-six year old. It can reduce ever be. all kinds of Brittle ailments, bones. including Parkinson's disease, heart disease, check. Type two diabetes, check. Gallstones, depression, suicide, cirrhosis, liver cancer, melanoma, and prostate cancer. But the rub is. I mean, you got to drink uh, five cups, four yeah, five cups. This? this sounds fake. I mean, you have, so you have to drink five, four or five, eight ounce cups of coffee. I love coffee. What's wrong you with love that? coffee. How nah. many cups do you drink? One and a half to two. Yeah, okay. right. Who drinks Just five really cups? good coffee. You don't drink five cups. Yeah, I could see it. In the course of one day. Well, what do you, you know? I used to. Hold on. You know, a cup is an actual measurement. It's not, it's, it's eight ounces. Eight ounces. Also, you're, but you, you would drink a K cup. I, <laughs> doesn't matter to Josh what it is. I'm like a, I'm like a dumpster. No, I, 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 I drink two cups of gasoline. Hold on. You think it's two cups. You're drinking four cups. The mugs that you have at your house are not eight ounce cups. You know why? So they're 16. They would look like they're part of a dollhouse. Yeah, they're 16. So you're drinking two of those. You drink four actual cups of coffee, right? A I cup ju- is eight ounces. I mean, look, I drink grams of coffee. That's how bad it when is. When you get the tall coffee cup at 7-Eleven, yeah. that's five Seven, cups of coffee. 7-Eleven? Yeah, no. Yeah, that's I can't I just said that to him. If you said when Wawa, get- it, but it's a jersey in me. If you said Wawa, I'd be like, cool, man. Like, yeah, those are 16 to 24 ounce cups is oh, what you're, you're grabbing. You're, but you don't live in Wawa, Jersey. My, you're in North we, Jersey. We have two in town now, and my wife's from South Jersey. They're expanding upward. My wife, I'm, I'm now a Philly guy because my wife's from Does your South wife Jersey. talk like Mayor of Easttown? Great show. You mean gloomy Pennsylvania? Yeah. It's alternative name? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was on uh, she was on The Ringer, and she is British. Yes. Like, yeah. very, her accent is very Her Philly British. accent was actually kind of, when you think about how British her accent is and the fact that she could even attempt to makes pull it off. Of, yeah, it makes it more impressive. Although it was like, eh. All right. Numerous studies conducted throughout the world consuming four or five eight-ounce <laughs> cups of coffee. All right, or about one. 400 milligrams of caffeine uh-huh. that a sounds day. Like you, that sounds like you've got a problem. Has been yeah. associated with reduced death rates. Bullshit. Um, Correct. In a study of more than 200,000 participants followed for up to 30 years. Are you kidding me? Um, Wait, well, I was one of them. What's bullshit? <laughs> From, I'm 36. So starting at six years of age, you think they these people were accurately coffee. reporting how much coffee they were drinking. Every I was day. doing my part from six don't, years old. Josh, don't, don't ruin it. Um, Again, see, he wants to. J.P. Morgan did this really good study, uh, family cash balances, income, and expenditure trends throughout 2021. We're moving on from the coffee. Just, just mean, did you have more to say? I feel like I we, had got, one, we I, dominated that. What else is there to say? Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just had one thing. Finish I your thought. Finish your thought. Um, it, it really was your comrade, Ben. Carlson, right? Um, Does not drink coffee. Has never had a cup in his life. What is that? What is that? He drinks Diet Pepsi for his caffeine? I figured while I'm here, I wanted to call him out on that. Um, And, you know, um, rest in peace, Ben. 
Based on Wait. this news, it sounds like oh, he's yeah. No. Sorry, Ben. I need, a, I need a backup podcaster. Host. I didn't even think about that. So Ben's longevity is, is done. not what it could be if only he were fiending coffee. But like, so he doesn't drink coffee and he eats Chick Fil A. But yet he's got like veins in his arms from muscles. He better have life insurance. Oh, he'll be Ben. Ben is in Ben is in better physical shape than any of these coffee drinking maniacs. Michael, right. when when he is gone, you hit me up, uh, Anim- I, Animal. You're a great backup. Okay, so. There's a lot of great charts in here. Uh, one of the ones I want to talk about was low-income families experienced the greatest year-over-year percent decrease in labor income during the, during the early months of the pandemic, which is a chart on the right, right? Not surprising. Wait, what is this? The chart on the right shows the year-over-year percent change in median labor income by income quartile. Okay. So what? I, I, I can't read that. What is, what's the bottom quartile? It says- The, the, the light, lightest blue line. It says between people that earn between $12,000 and $30,000. Right. Experience the biggest shock, obviously. They get, you know, they got laid off. And then, but, but the good news is they, the year over year percent change in median total income by income quartile, again, low income families experience the greatest year over year percent increase. So my point is that the economic incentive programs worked. Well, you're putting money into their bank account that is greater, equal to or greater than what would normally be hitting their bank account. Right. So so the the debate that Ben and I keep having is going forward, how do we ever not do this? But one of the reasons why I think this was such an outlier is because both sides of the aisle agreed on the same day, we have to do something. This is a national emergency. Can't you guys foresee a recession where maybe we're already in a recession, but one side doesn't even agree that we're in a recession. And then like, they want to point fingers. Like by the time everyone knows in a re- that we're in a recession, it might it's be too late. late and there might not be like uh, the political will willpower to do something like this. Aren't you comparing it like Apple to an orange yes. with a, uh, <laughs> with a pandemic situation versus I think you're, dare I say, general yeah, run it, of the mill financial, but 100%. it might have nothing to do with a pandemic, but they might look back at this experience and say, we basically had a three month recession because we put all this cash in people's hands and they went out and spent it. So the, the cause of it won't matter. So I don't know what causes the next yeah. massive recession. Sure. Like, who knows? Probably a stock market crash. No, the reason why it could matter is because we, absent a very serious event, we might not all agree that we're even in a recession. Yes, I agree with that. There are parts of the economy that were in a recession in 2018. Right. Like, like energy, anything manufacturing. And energy in 2016? Right. Any Anything manufacturing in 2018, anything energy-related in uh, 15 and 16, those were – if you worked in those industries and lived in those parts of the country – you experienced the recession. So why not just parlay your thoughts into UBI? I love it. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm here for I just want to make sure that was a logical connection here. Yes, I'm here if for this it. Was you so- only love it if there's no associated uptick in, in taxation, which, of course, there would be. Like, we're not, we're not just going to do UBI and not try to raise the revenue from somewhere else. Well, um, I'm, I'm also here for the MMT. You're here for the MMT. Yes. I, I kind of have. And the UBI. Well, you have to be, I yeah. guess. I have some of those vibes too. You do? There has to be a way to like. So the money doesn't have to come from anywhere and we could just give it to everybody and they're no, going to no, complain no, no, that there's no, inflation? No, 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 no. I don't want to give it to everybody. Right. Then that's not UBI. Fine. Ooh, the word Modi- universal mod- is in the M- acronym. M-U-B-I. Fine. What's that? Modified UBI. Yeah, I don't Modi- want to. Oh, I- so that's where the war starts. Modified based on what? Income. Yeah. Where's the line? Low. My, 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 my cap is low. Like start, under, let's start with the poverty line and go yeah. from there. What's the poverty line? I don't know. 36,000. 30, yeah. 
That's we consider somebody under thirty six thousand. I, I would, I would so make we it, top I, them up to forty thousand. You think I, you're changing their life? I would make it higher than that. But yes, I think you're helping yes. people. Absolutely. Did they run this experiment in some like cities around the U.S. and like the results were phenomenal? Oh, I know you're helping people, and I don't hate it. I'm just telling you, that's a political, that's that's a political battle every single time. Yes, like. Uh, I'm I'm not here to debate that. First of all, that's true. Like, good luck, like pushing that through. I don't think the apparatus we have installed today has a shot. The at Republicans doing are going like to say that. you're paying people not to work, yeah. and seventy percent of the American public are going to agree with that. Correct, and they're going to say that we're turning people into sloths who are never who are going to just okay. be uh, many la- many lazy Democrats dr- lazy, are going to agree with that. Lazy drug addicts. So I think that's not actually a winning message. Believe it or not, free money is actually not a winning message. Even if we're doing it via MMT and it's not coming from higher taxes, yeah. I still don't think the majority of America is in that place right but now. But wait a minute. I also don't think that we should give people enough money to live. Like, I'm not saying that you give everybody $30,000. What are you going to give them that would matter? If they're, let's say they're 36000 they're at the poverty line. I don't know, man. I haven't can, really can thought you about ima- this too just, just imagine if $500 a month yeah. is the difference between, like, feeding yourself and taking care of basic needs and, like, literally, like— all you're not eating for a day. All you're doing is the money ends up back at Walmart. So I don't I don't know that What's it's wrong with that. I'm not saying anything's wrong with it per se. And actually Walmart is has changed radically in terms of the way they're paying their people. Like they were kind of a leader re- recently in going raising minimum yeah. wage and um Wouldn't this be good for the economy if more people could spend more why, money? Why, but why are well, you Well let me finish the thought. Yeah. Most of the shit you're buying in Walmart is made in China. So you're basically saying you're basically saying we're gonna do more importing from from the Far East because the goods are cheap. Walmart's gonna keep all the profit spread, and the taxpayer is gonna fund it. Fine. Or how about the government funds it? I just think that who would be against like less people starving? No one. I hope. What well, if, what if UPC codes of like you know homegrown? What what if they got a what if you get a debit card that only recognized certain scan codes? I mean, get creative with it. I don't have, you know, I don't know how far tech and creative. The thing is, if it's universal and it has to be universal and you have to send checks to people that really don't need it. And it's their, I think, moral obligation to return those checks. So at what, at what point in your mind, just out of curiosity, does the social good get to it? Like, where is it at where social good outweighs the uh, cons of, of running the program? There's going to be a stigma. People that are we're going to get into this whole makers versus takers yes, thing. Yes, and it's yes, so yes, toxic yes, and I yes. hate it. So just, we cannot go down that road as your, so, as your so, so maybe, so maybe, so maybe universal. Is no, the I right. like universal pre-K. Why should the family you're born into dictate how much opportunity you have in life? Okay. It's, it's disgusting. So I like that. And they did that in New York oh, wait, city. But, but, I think it should be pre- federal. Yeah. But pre-K doesn't determine your success in life. No, but why should you start off in kindergarten a hundred yards back from the starting line? Right. Oh, that other kids are coming into kindergarten ready to read, and you had two working parents who didn't spend time reading books with you, and you start off at a at a disadvantage, and the ripple effects of that could be exponential. But same with the course fo- of your life. Same with food and basic. I'd rather do that than just and- here's here's a check. Universal healthcare. I think, I think, I feel the I think same you're way hung about. up on just a check, and it's now free range on that money because a lot of things could could go, you know, that money could go if you a, a thousand different if ways. If you do universe, if you do universal healthcare. And you're in a situation now where people can choose, I want private insurance for better access, or I want Obamacare, whatever, yeah. and I'll get, I'll take what I can get right now. And if, if you solidify that in society, you give people the wherewithal to quit their job, which is what we're seeing in that chart. I, would, I think that plays a role. People not thinking that their life depends on them staying somewhere 
that they don't want to say. I would be interested to hear the other side in a way that's not like anger. It's just like, like what are the actual downsides in an unemotional way? What are the economic downsides? Yeah. What are the potential societal downsides? What would make you or I think that like, geez, yeah, like, that's, that's something we really would not want to, ha- if that happened. The downside, really- is, the downside is the lack of dynamism that you see in Europe. And Macron has been making enemies all over France for the last few years, talking about the idea that we need to encourage people to learn to take more risk. And but to stop you, relying so much on, on uh, the fair, state. Fair, okay, fair. Don't you think that dynamism is in like our cultural DNA and maybe UBI doesn't but change that overnight? You could, lo- you could lose it fair, as a result okay. of that. So over three generations, you could look this you is, could look like Western Europe, which has a dynamism problem. They're not as entrepreneurial as we are. They're not risk takers. Yeah. That's because their food is too good. And they drink too much coffee. There are a lot of cultural reasons. And this is why why a lot of people don't like the social capitalism dynamic, right? When you're mixing, you know, uh, we want to be socialist, but we also also want that that spark of U.S. capitalism in there. And they proponents say, I think we're all capitalists first. But they point. I agree with that. They point to places where what they're doing is unrealistic for our population. Like they'll point to Norway. They'll look at the oil wealth in Norway and how it's shared by everybody that lives there. That's not relevant. It's not relevant because that's a that's a, a homogenous population. Everybody's related to each other. They all look pretty much the same. We don't have a culture like that. Like people don't love their neighbors here as much as maybe they should. Yeah. Um and people we we have such disparate regional differences. I hate my neighbors. No, but it's like it's it's, it's it's not the cute Italian village where everyone in the yeah. in the village is helping out. Yeah. Nona and and you know no, no. we don't we're, do that. We don't do that we're here. Too dynamic. I saw a commercial the other day. They bring uh <laughs> they bring dinner over to the is like ragu. You know they bring over the pasta and sauce to the I'll little girl. Smack that the, top right the little girl goes. Oh, no, it's house. with the china with the plate. Hey, here you go, Mister. Uh, here Josh, you go, Mister. Yeah. Smith. I'm like, what is that girl doing going over? I mean, it's a very beautiful thing. Like Dude, that, somebody that, rings my doorbell, I call the police. Yeah, and you're definitely you're a tomato sauce asshole. Oh, that's a whole other show. Josh, I made you a prego. Here I'll, you go. I'll, I'll take it. I'll sample it. I know the wife and kids are out this week. We're worried about you. Here, Here's here's some pasta. I'm like the critic from Ratatouille. Uh, all right, we're going to move on to Overbought or Oversold. This is Michael's favorite segment. This is the part of the podcast where. <laughs> uh, all right. So I think building a culture is oversold. The word culture gets thrown around too much. It's actually offensive to me. Wait, can I just say one thing? The oversold, overbought, it's confusing because I feel like it has the opposite of meaning of what I'm saying. Yeah. Because something, something is oversold is it's going down too much, but you're saying it's oversold in a different way. All right. The like, idea is being oversold to us. I guess you could take it in a, either way. I was so, confused. Merrill Lynch underscores commitment to recruiting pullback. I actually respect them for doing this. Merrill Lynch Wealth Management, which is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Bank of America. They'll probably lose the Merrill Lynch name sooner or later. Um, but they stopped writing these checks to advisors and they started getting much more serious about internal training. Mm-hmm. And I actually respect that. And this guy, Andy Seig or Sieg, I don't know how to pronounce his name, um, but he's the president of the wealth management group. We have been out of the recruiting game because we don't think it's a good formula for clients, shareholders, or the firm overall. Instead, Merrill Lynch is relying on newly redesigned advisor training programs, replenish its ranks. Uh, all right. So there are still firms that are doing this thing where they're trying to recruit established brokers, right? Advisors. Or, or, or the raise 10 mil in two years or get out for the unestablished. Yeah. Or they're saying, okay, you're 22. Your uncle works here. Yeah. Here's a quote unquote job. Yeah. 
cold call for the next 13 months and we'll tell you if call you Call every it. cousin, aunt you've ever. All right. So I respect, I respect them for that, getting out of that race. Yes. And he's right. That is how you build. I'm not saying they'll be successful, but the first step to building a culture is to have people in the firm that are there for the right reason. Mm-hmm. And if you're just writing people checks, 300% of their, their trailing production, you can never have a culture. You could say it till you're blue in the face about your culture, but it's bullshit. It's fake. The culture, what happens, dies because the people at the top in these big these big wealth management teams are the last of the Mohegans. They're the last ones that successfully cold call and build the book and brokerage and yes. sell stocks. And the games change. You can't effectively build that way anymore. They've lost. I give this guy a ton of respect. When this article came out, yeah, I was like, I never thought I'd see the day. Yeah. I never thought I'd see the said, day. One of our principles is that cultures can only be built. They can't be bought. 100%. There it is. I mean, that? Yeah. So you got all these kids coming in, hitting phones, doing this stuff, and 99% of them flop out. Whatever they did get in goes back into the like, – Look I never, what the Nets did. There's no culture there. I never understood. So now you're the 70 – They'll disband that like in one year. It's like culture. it was never there. If you're the 70-year-old advisor like running the couple bill, three, four, five bill team, then you got your heir apparent in their 50s. He's like, okay, I could see like my time is coming. It's your son in law. your 50s? Yeah. It's the yeah, guy who yeah. married your daughter. Yeah. And then – wait, then you got the 30-something-year-old, the next one down, and he's going like, I'm never going to get here. And he's right. And he's – and then – if <laughs> yeah. So wait, and there's still one more after that, the new recruit who's oh. just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. The one after that is the one that hits me up on LinkedIn yes. and is like, hey – I Josh just wanted, B. Period. I wanted to uh, pick. I wanted to pick your brain. And uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to get on the phone and be like, "Dude, you should quit. Start an RIA." It's yes. not, that's not realistic either. You didn't. T- I, I should stop telling people that. So I always recommend that they try to, if possible, right. um, marry the boss's daughter. <laughs> all right. That's all I wanted to say about that. What's your uh, What's your overbought, oversold, Dougie? Um, all right. If I'm saying it the right way, investing. Nobody. We're all doing this wrong. Yeah, so investing is oversold. Um, this last year and and perhaps even over the last decade, I think we created a double edged sword. Uh, when it comes to investing, with one edge being that people, notably younger investors slash traders, are getting more involved with investing and learning about the subject. And so that's the good edge. That's the good. And you talked about this. I remember in a video, you're like, leave. The, it was the leave the kids alone thing, yeah. right? But you know, things are a dick. You got Robin Hood meme stocks, NFT, crypto, blah blah blah, and social media fueling a lot of this. Sure. The other edge is that we're focusing almost exclusively on investing when here we are in a wealth management firm as a wealth manager, we don't start the conversation with investing. That's not where it, it's the sexiest thing, which is how we get people into it. But you know, no one's tweet no one's posting, you know, cash flow wins on social media here or insurance wins, but we don't start the convo with investing. That's not fundamental personal finance. What should it start with? Start Save, with savings rate? Goals and cash management. These are kids, these are kids, they don't have cash. Um, Their cash is at Robinhood, and it's play money. Building good habits so when you do finally come into money, you know what you're doing. And you really don't think that's happening in the background of all this Robinhood shit? Because I think it is. That's my question. I want to know when the tide eventually goes out, did we push the ball forward with all this craziness that's happening on the investment front? Does the focus on investing push financial education forward? Or when this thing goes out, we're just right back where we were. We took the wrong path here. It depends. It was all a multifaceted bubble of some what does kind. What on? The person. I got this nonsense out of my system when I was a young person. Right. You had to make money, lose money, realize how random half the shit was. I think a lot of money's been lost in, in uh, pre-IPO, uh, pre-deal SPACs already. 
mm-hmm. um, crypto. Like a lot of money's been made too. It's not all bad, but I'm, I think like there's been a lot of uh, a lot of education this this spring. <laughs> uh, NFTs. Uh, what are the other things in here? But but let's say this thing blows the meme stocks. These things blow tokens. up. Young, meme stocks. Nobody's learned any good lessons. But if young yet. kids blow, but see, but, but, there's but things on, in but, here but, that are so stupid. But if you do blow up, you know, a few hundred bucks, a thousand, two thousand bucks. Who cares? You learn a valuable lesson. We all yes. we've all been there. I'm not denying that. I'm taking a more macro approach. What if are, I say, are the we moving it the, forward? The potential problem is, I don't know. The potential problem is if you go to the market and you view it through the lens of, oh, this is a casino, can you unlearn that behavior? And I think yes. you can. I think you can. I also would say the same people that would have eventually found good financial habits would have either way. So you were focusing on trading stonks instead of figuring out that the student, those direct loans, the student loans that you're about to take out might actually prevent you from moving. Had you got a different lesson mm. and understand the ramifications of entering into debt to right. fund and how you get an ROI, and yeah, the, I'm using lingo, how to get a return on the 30, 40 grand you're about to plow into you know, watching football games in the fall and getting a degree. That to me has an infinite, it will set you up for success far right. greater than, oh man, I levered myself on game stonk and, you know, lost some money a, with what, my bros. But here's the problem with that. What if you did that and you turned $30,000 into a hundred grand? Like, you won survivorship bias. You won. You did it. Great. A I, lot of people did it. A lot. Fantastic. Like I think, like I, I honestly believe like millions of kids just did that. That could be the exception, not the rule. I don't it know. is I, the exception. It'll never happen again. Right. So, okay. A little flash in the pan moment in time the, where they the put themselves. just doubled in a year. Like, that's not what's going to happen but it perpetu- this year. Okay, Peter Schiff. <laughs> it's, it's the guys in the Ethereum and Bitcoin shirt. Everyone's getting rich, but you affect. Uh, yeah. I wow. got one. I don't know if this is overbought or oversold, but it's something. <laughs> yeah. Estate planning. Overbought. It's overbought? Why? Uh, so you wrote. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's undersold. Maybe we won't do this next week. Maybe okay. it's estate planning. What is just what is undersold? It? Like it's under discussed. They're, not, the they're not talking about it yeah. enough. So for example, why aren't the millennials talking about estate planning? I got you, Josh. Listen to this. <laughs> I went into I went into Salpino. Salpinos. Salpinos. Apostrophe S. I got the craft pit turkey. Okay, pit craft. Pit craft. So far, I like where this is going. Boar's head, Doug. You know boar's head. All. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't love the flavor, but I can appreciate it. Okay. It's not my palate, but I totally get it. Okay. So I got a, I got that sandwich. Uh, a little bit too much smoke for me. But I saw an article in the New York Daily News. I see. Legal beef boiling in New York City court over boar he- boar's head deli meats fortune. What, did the guy just die or something? So let's see. Uh, I, I got some notes here. Uh, the death of Barbara Brunkhorst, oh, oh. the uh, daughter of boar's head founder Frank Brunkhorst, has sparked a court fight among the two families who control the secret of Deli Meats Company, estimated to earn around $1 billion yeah, annually. Oh, can we, wait, can we just pause with respect at Secretive Deli Meats Company? Because that is a cool band name, I would say. All right, go on. I so so uh, anyway, that's it. I mean, oh, but it's funny. Uh, Boar's Head moved its headquarters to Florida in 2001, like many longtime yeah. New Yorkers. That's what the that's that's what the yeah those trucks. Said. So growing up in South Florida, they're everywhere and in, in every Publix too. Okay, so. so how come there's so many fortunes that are fought over after the person dies? Like, why aren't why is estate planning done for people? I think with this you only hear about the ones that are. It's a good I think point. you only hear about the prominent ones where they made a mistake with estate planning. Yeah, but it, but I feel like there's it, it happens regularly. 
there, a lot of people die each year, and there's no yeah. shortage well, of wealthy people dying. This happened with, like, B.B. Uh, King and Prince, probably now DMX, had a whole bunch of kids, and it was unclear, like, who's getting what. I, uh, yeah, Prince. I did a podcast that was about Amy Winehouse's estate debacle. Right. She yeah. didn't have kids. But Who's all, supposed to get that? She made a lot of uh, money post-death and, you know, it going to her so what, but what are you – all right, so estate planning really like for people that are inheriting huge businesses or they're celebrities? People don't like to talk about death. I yeah, think, no, yeah, I, no I, kidding. I, yeah. But I just feel like you can destroy your heirs. Like yes. the people you care most about, you can ruin their lives if you don't button the shit up. Or make them hate each other. Or you. All of it. Yeah. All Le- of it. Legacies get tarnished. Yeah. I like the idea of creating an estate plan and then not sharing it with anybody and surprising everybody after. Like uh, Knives Out. Yeah. Bitcoin uh, fixes this. All right, we're gonna, sure do, we're, we're gonna do favorites before we get out of here. Uh, what's the best thing you read, watched, listened to this week? Um, I'm gonna go first. Go ahead. Why didn't anybody tell me about the Conjuring cinematic universe? We talk. I love the Conjuring. This is the greatest thing. Huge that I, Conjuring guy. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Wait, I, wait, wait, hold, hold on. Explain because take take a step back. Walk us into it. Okay. So the Marvel cinematic universe which is like worth hundreds of billions of dollars. I don't even know. I don't, how do you even every, quantify it's that? Price, it's Tens pri- of billions? It's priceless now. Okay. But they like make it very clear when you're watching a movie that it's part of that. Mm-hmm. The Conj- There are nine movies associated with The Conjuring that have all come out in the last eight years, starting in 2013. They don't like put it in your face that these movies are related. Huh. You ha- They're like Easter eggs. Like they'll have characters cross over from one to another. Well, The Conjuring 2 didn't give it away. In The Conjuring 2, the Annabelle doll is yes. sitting there. Yes, yes, yes. And then you're like, wait, what? And then they did Annabelle creation, and you see the nun for the uh, how, like the nun for the first time. And then, and then the, they make a nun movie. Yeah, and the nun's in The Conjuring 2. All right, but these are Easter eggs yeah. that they're like relying on you to figure that, out. That scene, that Ooh, scene is oh so scary. Did you see that scene? That's Conjuring 2. Okay, so I just watched The Nun. Okay, The Nun's not that great. Now, the timeline of the movies... The Nun takes place in 1952. The Annabelle doll is created in 1958. Wait, how do you discuss? Why are you now? Because I'm losing these? my, I'm losing you did my a mind. Dip, wiki, wiki dive on no, because I watched The Conjuring Three on HBO Max. It wasn't that good. Oh. It was okay. So I you lo- had to go I back. Loved it. You d- Dude, the, did you see the first one? I've seen them all now. Oh, okay, now okay. multiple times, okay. <laughs> and I can't stop watching them. And there's two more on the way. The first two are the best. So there's this one guy, James Wan, who's like the creator of all this. He did not do the third one. Right, but he's been like producing them now and directing Non-canon. some Non-canon. of them. Non-canon. Yeah, he did not do the third one. No, they're all canonical. Okay. And there's one called La Llorona, which the curse. Yeah, that was not that was not great. Not great. But I'm just looking at you like I know. Yeah, like I, I, know do, I love these about. movies. Listen I, to me. I'll check it out. This is, this is the coolest thing ever. And there's a whole article about how they're all related. Wait, what's the coolest thing ever? The Conjuring? You're that into it? What's the spook factor? Because I like what? horror movies that become franchises. Huh. But they're not doing that with this. This is almost like they're expanding horizontally. They're taking minor characters and creating new movies. So Patrick for them. Wilson Love is it. great. Uh, Via Formiga is that her name? Vera Formiga. Um, they're not. They're not gory. I don't really like uh, like porn. No, they're porn. jump. They're jump scare. Yeah, they're yeah. and then they're creepy. They're it's it's pretty. They're thrillers. They, they're but they like they sneak up on you. I like how you say horizontally. They're called spinoffs. So like, didn't we call them like they're these, spinoffs? They're spinoffs. That's it. They're spinoffs. But then each spinoff is the beginning of like a new series. Can I confess something? This might even this might even defeat the whole purpose of horror movies. 
So I like going to see horror movies in the theater because if I'm home, I'm too scared to Great. watch them where I will watch them. But before the scary part, I'll like press mute or something. I had a Dreamcast and had Resident Evil 3 or 4 or whichever, and I stopped playing it within 10 minutes because I, <laughs> I turned off the lights in my room, turned up my sound system, and here I am playing this like game. A dog jumped. A, yeah, wolf, I, I, I a love, wolf jumped out at me, and I, I was like, we're, we're done. We're done. We're done I, with this. If you have not seen... The Conjuring Three on HBO Max it's, and all of these. It's, it's, three's not great. Start with one. It's a seven. It's a, yeah, it's a six. Six. It's a horror. It's a horror eight. How about that? Uh, Thomas, I'm a six seven. Will you grant? Six, six. Will you grant me a different scale for horror movies? Absolutely. Oh, so you, usually terrible. Oh no, no, you got to What's what's the sliding scale called? Uh, there's a curve. There's right, like in, in grade school. There's a curve. Yeah, a grading curve. Horror movies deserve to be graded on a curve. Hundred percent. Because they're 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 objectively they're not that good, but I love them. So I think it's a horror. I think I thought the nun was like a horror seven or eight. Also, real quick, I asked this question about horror movies. What's the last one that was literally stain your underwear? Like it, moment. the first it, the first it I saw it in the theater, or caused the pan, or caused an issue. Okay. Oh well, for me, the first Blair, it, Blair, but the, but Blair the, Witch, Blair Witch was the what new on it. first it. The, the, the original the new, was from the, the 70s, new first the 80s. it was the best movie experience I've ever had in my entire life. Got to check it. The out theater then. was. You never saw it. No, no, the original, not the new one. No, 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 not the original. I, that I was that was too scary for me because I was a kid when that for came kids, out. Yeah. I, I couldn't watch that. This guy, that one, the first one, but. There was a horror movie that literally f***ed me up, and my mother was very angry at my father for taking me to see it. It was called In the Mouth of Madness. It's a John Carpenter movie with Sam Neill. I remember that, but I don't remember the Vaguely movie. Vaguely remember I it. I saw it in the theater. What year did that come out? 96? I was maybe 11? You did not belong there. No, dude. Right. No, no. And that that genuinely terrified Yours me. Yours is Blair Witch? That did nothing for me. No, I actually never saw what? it in theaters. I was just asking the question. Sword in the what, theater in 99. What caused nothing. an issue? And there's only two in my mind that what? ever caused an issue. It would have been Exorcist before that and Blair Witch were the two. Oh, I Exorcist. can point to that actually caused pandemonium so in the this, theaters. So this movie, it was 1994. I was nine years old. I should not have been in that movie. Who is that, Who is that actor? That's Sam. Is oh, it Sam Neill? Yeah. Jurassic Park? Is it Sam O'Neill or Sam Neill? Oh, do you like, so do you like like exorcism and demon stuff? Well, that's The Conjuring. But so The Conjuring has that, but also ghosts? Like I feel like paranormal. it's a, com- oh, it's a paranormal combination. Oh, activity is very scary. That's good. Very I, I got to go like Hills Have Eyes type stuff. So, all right, so you like the like that's, very violent. That's demented and I love it. I'm very- I like that stuff too. Very yeah. wrong up yeah, here yeah, very in demented. terms of that. The Hills I, Have Eyes or uh, Hostile. Really? No, hostile. hostile. No, no, no. That's 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 horror porn. I don't like that. Not into hostile. Just too gory. No, when they when they cut the f- Achilles with the. Gotta have it. Gotta have Dude, this type of stuff the in guy there. With the, I hate the it. guy with the blowtorch. Stop. Just I hate it. I going hate to work it. on I, that girl. I hate that stuff. So, I had to look away. I hate that stuff. So well, I know we're lingering on this. I just want to know, given how exposed we are to like stuff on the internet and gore, and I mean we've seen it all now. We're desensitized. Not. To, what, I'm not desensitized to that. That's what too much. would it take to create? Um, exorcist 70, 70s, exorcist level pandemonium in a theater, it, like people running out going, why, is oh that my what, is God. Is that what happened with the exorcist? I think it killed yeah. people. No, yeah, yeah, it did. No, no, yeah. It, it, yeah, exorcist caused a real problem. I heard it made the news. I think it, ca- yeah. because it caused copycats, kids acting like they were possessed, parents thinking that people in their house that, were possessed. Li- no, no, I just, literally just watching the flick. Yeah, running. I mean, got to run out of the theater. Excuse yourself. People couldn't handle it. Yeah, because there was nothing like stuff. that. I don't think you could do that. Blair anymore. Witch is the only one I can ever recall. People like I had like a That's newscaster. That's already twenty two years Blair ago. Witch, Blair Witch did mess people up. I don't think you can do it anymore. No. I don't think so. I don't no. think so either. I agree. I think you would have to do it with a reality show, and it would have to be on Netflix. Or if you did, if you did do it, it would. Ne- you can never put that. I on. You can never the, put that on. Screen. I rewatched The Exorcist recently. Too slow for me. Yeah, 
Uh, it's just too slow. George C. Scott is pretty badass. Who's that? Did I tell? Did I ever? The priest. Did I ever force you to watch Patton yet? No. See, I, how many hours? Wait, is George C. Scott in the Exorcist? <sighs> how many hours? Is Patton? Which character were you referring to? I don't know. The, the millennials are rolling their eyes. All right, <laughs> let's let's keep it moving. Doug, what's your uh, what's your fi- what's your favorite? I did this not week? expect you into horror movies. That was fun. That yeah. was great. So my five-year-old daughter uh, learned about space for an entire school year, and uh, she literally knows more about outer space than than her so nerd the te- father. The teacher brought this in. It was block learning. Yeah, she taught them. It was like a whole STEM year. Space was like the big volcanoes and space were the two things. Space is cool again. So cool. Like space is like a, a thing that's happening but right guys, now. Guys, th- there are things I didn't know. First of all, they troll all of us in the lessons when your pa- when your parents were in school. Pluto yeah. was a planet. Okay, we all get it. It's not, but get this: it's a dwarf planet, and there are four other dwarf planets in our solar system and a belt called the Kuiper Belt. Unnamed? No, they're named Maki Maki, which is the stupidest name I've ever heard of in Sounds my like life. Sounds like a tuna. Yeah, Cirrus, um, Aries. And there's one more, forgive me, the fact I remembered there four. There dwarf planets? There are, and there may be more. There it may be more. sounds complicated. I, I don't think they're going to change the textbooks for that. No, I mean, look, <laughs> you got a five-year-old coming home talking to me. I mean, it could have been very specialized to this one teacher. Anyways, um, so now subconsciously in the back of my mind and my wife's mind is all things outer space. So what's your favorite space movie? Ooh, I'm kidding, go ahead. Um, Event Horizon. Ooh, Horror movie. Super awesome, sorry. Sam, also Sam Neill. Very scary. Yes. Too and scary. Lawrence Fishburne, amazing yeah. job in there. Right, Lawrence yeah. Fishburne? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways. That'd uh, be funny if they spent the whole year teaching your kid like Event Horizon. Oh, my God. And all these, all these space horror Bending movies. Bending space. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, the Final Flight uh, about the Challenger on Netflix came out in 2020. It's a four-part uh, miniseries here. Um, really deep dive into like what was going on in NASA. Is that, is that Bruce Willis's arm patch from Armageddon? I was, uh, I was, I was, that's Buscemi's. I was in third grade when the challenger happened yeah. and we watched it live. They had a t- they wheeled the TV into uh, the auditorium. I would love to know what it's went through your mind. Tiny ass TV. The whole school was watching Do it. Do you remember? No. I don't remember having a reaction to it, but my mother told me that her cousin was training to be on the mission mm-hmm. and didn't make the cut. He was a science it's a teacher. Was a science rec- teacher. Yeah, so it's about the recruitment of teachers to be the first so non-scientist. I, th- I think my mother's cousin almost was on the, the shuttle or something. So they wanted to reinvigorate the space program because, you know, they the, the Apollo and the Apollo missions were done and the Saturn V rocket was retired. Nobody, so they put no, civilian no teachers. Well, then they did the shuttle program and America was like, yeah, shuttles in space. This is You can watch it land. And they did like 25, 30 successful missions. And people are like, whatever, I want to watch who would they put? Who would they put on now? Like inf- TikTok influencers? Elon. TikToks from space. Yeah. Well, Bezos is going to go. Yeah. Wait, wait. You know, this was, the, the shuttle program was created to get us to kind of where we are right now, where everyday people can go up and we're still not there. That was NASA's hope anyways. But it was awesome. You got to take a look into the space program, seeing what was going on in the 80s. And obviously the thing blowing up and killing people was not not the highlight of the of All the right, flight. so this on Netflix? Yeah, it's kind of scandalous. There was uh, an issue with the – they kind of knew about an issue with the boosters. There was an O-ring ceiling problem that they dive into throughout this. I think I'm ruining the whole yeah, thing, but check de- it out. You definitely got to watch your O-ring. All right. Uh, <laughs> I want to I plug the I Don't Shop uh, store before we get out of here. Hey, what about me? So, what? We skipped them. Oh, oh, you didn't add one to the doc. Yeah, because I, I didn't – You're here to I, surprise us? Well, yeah, because I don't want to – all right. What's your, guys toast? what's your favorite? This Oh, you wanted to surprise us. Okay, go. So I saw a perfect movie this week. I already spoke about it on the podcast, but I saw it before Sunset. Was that the sequel? Before Sunset. 
Oh, that's like with Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it's a perfect movie. Before it, is that the first one or the last sec, one? It's the second one. It's it was an, it was only an hour and twenty minutes, and from start to finish, it was just perfect. He makes awesome movies. Uh, Richard Linklater. Yeah, he made um, Days and Confused. Days and Confused, and a bunch of others. You like it? It's a romantic comedy. It's not a comedy though. It's what is it? It's just a romantic movie. Just a romantic movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, when did that come out? Two thousand four. So you really di- you're digging. You're going back in time. Dude, it was so good. Good for yeah. you. All right. We'll check that one out. What else are we doing? Oh, for those of us listening to the podcast, if you want to watch clips, we're posting these to youtube.com slash the compound RWM. We appreciate our guest, Doug, coming in today. Did you have fun? Had a lot of fun. Was it everything that you uh, expected? Sure. And Doug, maybe even fun. a little more? More. <laughs> Long. Over, over, undersold. All right. And uh, for Compound merch, we're going to send you to the Compound store. That's idonshop.com. And if you love investing podcasts, and you probably do, uh, make sure you check out Michael and Ben every Wednesday morning on Animal Spirits, as well as the Goldmine podcast. Have you heard Have you heard any of our Goldmine podcasts, Doug? Yeah, yes. What do you think? Awesome. Pretty cool, right? It's amazing. So the Goldmine, we're reading our blog posts. So if you are an audio learner rather than a uh, somebody who likes to read, that's a great way to consume our stuff. Uh, thanks to Doug. We appreciate you coming by. Thank you. Thanks uh, to Duncan. Thanks to John uh, on the controls. Guys are killing it, as always. And we will see you guys next week. Good job, guys. All right, let's go watch horror movies now. 